I'm Michael Jonas from Commonwealth Magazine. Today on the podcast, getting to yes on new education funding for Massachusetts schools. Four years ago, a state commission said Massachusetts was shortchanging its school districts by anywhere from $1 to $2 billion a year. After lots of fits and starts, many hope this is the year the state will take action. If it does, it would represent the biggest change to the complicated formula for school funding since it was put in place with the landmark Education Reform Act in 1993. There's lots of momentum to do something, but what will that look like? And what are the likely points of contention? Here to help us sort things through are Tracy Novick, a field director for the Massachusetts Association of School Committees and a former member of the Worcester School Committee. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you. And Liam Kerr, the director of the Massachusetts chapter of Democrats for Education Reform. Welcome to you, Liam. Glad to be here. So, Tracy, I know you followed the have followed the bouncing ball here as closely as anyone, going back to this commission I referred to, which uh, has a a long bureaucratic name, I think the Foundation <laughs> Budget Review Commission. That's right. And um, and so as best as you can, in a nutshell, tell us what were the main findings of it and and what uh, what does the proposal that was just unveiled on Beacon Hill, uh, what would it do in terms of school funding? Uh, yes. So when the commission met and they held public hearings across the state before they then sort of settled into their work, um, they came to four main conclusions that have to do with funding. There are a few other findings that are in there as well. Um, but the four that have to do with funding um, are the um, special education, health insurance, English language learners, and low-income students. Um, the health insurance and the special education is something that um, we've been seeing numbers about dating back to at least 2011. Um, Mass Budget and Policy Center came out with a report called Cutting Class that actually started to look at where those funding gaps were. Um, that, I mean, essentially, in a nutshell, um, those are two um, sectors of education budgets that um, have been skyrocketing and keep and um, going up in terms of cost well above any kind of inflation rate, really. Um, so the formula that we had in place didn't really take into account the, yes. the kind it, of increases we've seen. That's right. And while the foundation budget does have an inflation rate in it, um, the inflation rate um, was not tied to anything having to do with either special education or health insurance. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of English language learners, um, we had some ideas about how that worked. We kind of had this idea, I think, that most of them came in in kindergarten, and then we kind of got them speaking English, and they kind of phased out. And we know, of course, that's not the case. We get kids at all kinds of ages. And then in terms of low income, there's been a lot of research um, in the past 25 years over what kids who come to us with various kinds of needs need in school. Um, and the costs for that are something that weren't appropriately recognized within the foundation budget. Um, so all of the efforts that have been going on, both last session and this session, have essentially been grappling with those pieces of the, the, the recommendations. There's also a data, um, data commission that is part of it, which is part of this bill as well. Um, and then the other two recognitions that are in there that I always like to mention because I think they're important um, are our inflation, um, which we the state skipped a year and then skipped a quarter, and also um, early education, which is recognized but not a recommendation and something that really Massachusetts is way behind on in terms of early ed. So that's what's in there. And so we should say, uh, uh, for people who hadn't been following the news, that uh, a, a bill was unveiled uh, a few days ago at the State House that incorporates a lot of this, the lead sponsors, uh, Senator uh, Chang Diaz who has been the Senate co-chair of the Education Committee, has lots of support from mayors across uh, the state, from a number of lawmakers in, in, in both chambers. 
Um, But at the same time, we've heard some comments from the governor about interest in addressing this question uh, this session. Uh, So I think that's why people feel like there's a lot of momentum behind it. But you know, there's there's still a long way between where we are now and 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 the finish line. So, Liam, this idea that that we really need to grapple with this and that our districts need a lot more money, uh, uh, you know, twenty more than twenty five years after the formula was first put in place, uh, does that uh, does that sound right to you? Well, the f- the four key areas that Tracy mentioned all do need to be addressed, and you know, for each of those four areas, I think there's a lot to be talked about, but at the end of the day, it's about student achievement. It's about students performing at a high level. And the state absolutely has an obligation to adequately fund an education to get those results. Um, and all four of those cost drivers have to be addressed as part of getting kids to where they need to be. Um, but the role of the state isn't just to adequately fund education. It's also to ensure adequate education, adequate outcomes for students. Um, and that's something I think when the state reopens the books and says, we're thinking of, again, making a large investment, that is the right time to also say, what is the role of the state in ensuring an adequate outcome for each student? Um, and I think there's a couple different areas where the state should be concerned and does have a responsibility. One of those areas is, is that state money actually going to make it into the school budget? Or is that state money just going to displace current money the city's putting in, that will go to other departments. Secondly, if the money makes it into the school budget, is it actually going to get to schools and help kids, or is it going to be stuck in a central office bureaucracy? And the third is, once it does reach the school, is the school going to be able to spend it effectively and get results for kids? And in all three of those areas, there's big questions, and I would argue in all three of those areas, the state has a responsibility, and it's something that they've, uh, the state has been working at since 1993, has been trying to get better at since 2010. And I would argue we have learned something in the last 25 years and in the last nine years since the 2010 Act um, made a slight uh, update and accelerated some of the things that were working in 1993. And I would say it's incumbent upon the state and state leaders to have a discussion about which of those things that we learned can actually be put into play in conjunction with money to make sure we get to the end goal of better results for kids. It's probably important to recognize that the 2010 Act didn't actually come with any additional money. So we've updated accountability without updating funding at least once. Um, and part of what, what Liam's talking about Um, interestingly, in terms of following the dollars, um, was part of the federal concern um, when they um, updated the federal education law. And so um, while there is a data section um, in Senator Chang Diaz's bill, as filed and in the Foundation Budget Review Commission recommendations. A lot of that work has actually already been happening simply because Massachusetts is responsible for reporting out school-level data um, under ESSA as it is. So um, being the federal federal education law, law, yes, not to get into too many acronyms, which we all tend to do too much of anyway. Um, But the, so the level of data reporting that has been happening um, around um, finances has, first of all, Massachusetts is well in advance of most states across the country. The amount of work that Massachusetts had to do on this was significantly less than other places. We know a lot more about where our money goes in Massachusetts than we do other places. Um, But the other thing is that that work has um, been happening for what, about a year and a half now? Um, the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education has been working with MASBO, which is the school business officials organization, around um, school-level data. Um, so I think that that question um, is 
something that, in fact, is already being dealt with. And the danger, of course, always is that um, tying ourselves into knots means that you end up not actually dealing with the problem. And we know from the reporting that has been done already, um, the kind of reporting that you can actually get when you analyze the reporting that school districts do back to the department every year, of the gaps that actually have already happened. So in terms of the question always becomes, sure, where does the money go? Right. We actually know where the money is going to go. Um, I mean, my kids go to a school system that's short 700 teachers. That's where the money is going to go. Um, so, And you can see that all the way through. In, in short, you say that based on, like, increasing class sizes or? No, because the foundation budget is actually based on a calculation of for every certain number of kids, you need a teacher. Mm -hmm. um, and that number goes up for English language learners. And that number goes, uh, well, number of teachers goes up, number of kids goes down for English language learners and for low income students. Um, so you can actually do a calculation that says if you have these kids, these are this is how many teachers you should actually have. Um, and a number of the districts, you may have seen there was some reporting earlier this week where the superintendents got together in a couple of different places across the state and did presentations. If you look at those presentations, you can actually look at what the numbers are of, in particular, the teacher numbers is always the one that I come back to. Um, because both as a school committee member and as a parent, I've seen those gaps in my school system. Um, but you can also look at things like, where where are we not spending enough money in facilities and supplies and that kind of thing. Um, so the health insurance and the special education have essentially sucked that money out of those accounts um, in places where city and towns are able to. We have seen town meeting after town meeting vote in favor of making sure that they still end up with the teachers in the classroom. Um, and in places where they can't do that, they don't have the local capacity, um, they don't have much of a choice because they're having to fund the things that are required. Um, and so essentially the, the role of the state, and we know this constitutionally, of course, that's why we have the education reform law of 93, um, is to ensure that the um, that the provision for adequate education is actually funded. At this point, that isn't being done. We're not actually meeting that level. Um, and that is something that we need to do um, well in advance. In fact, it's something that it's not really reopening the books. It's actually paying money that's already owed. Mm -hmm. And I mean, what about this, this sort of idea about there's adequate funding and the distinction between adequate funding, I guess, and adequate education, and that some people have said, you know, do we know that the money is being spent in ways that is going to really lead to, you know, better outcomes and having kids meet the kind of benchmark goals that we have? Um, and, 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 you know, and I guess, and what is the state's role and responsibility or even its right to to insert itself into some of those questions and, uh, you know, tie that to funding, I guess, is the question that I think is, is, is going to be one of the ones that's going to be on the table. I don't know that anybody likes the word adequate. Um, it ends up being one of those terms, right. one of those words that um, ended up in some of the legal ramifications, and I think that everybody wants something better than we'll adequate. Call it a quality education. <laughs> exactly, then, right? Uh, if you ask parents or teachers or indeed anyone um, what they're looking for in Massachusetts education, no one's going to say that they're looking for adequate. Um, but since we're not actually even meeting adequate in terms of funding, then I think that we, we need to get there um, first. And in terms of this notion that somehow you need um, new standards, new accountability, new this, new that, um, I think that's something that sometimes Massachusetts first in the nation, right, where all of these kinds of things sometimes misses is the degree to which um, we have levels of um, state reporting, state requirements, state everything. Every superintendent will happily tell you about the pages and pages of the list of things that are required from the department every year um, that other states don't. Um, 
And there can be arguments over whether or not that's why we are what we are. I would say that we also tend to underestimate things like health insurance and college level of, of parents and that kind of thing. There's a lot of other stuff that we do that's important. Um, but that doesn't actually have anything to do with the fact that we are running an educational system that didn't actually update a formula that we were constitutionally required to implement in 1993, um, and we haven't. So. To me, this is about money that is owed, has been owed, has been owed for, you know, I've got a senior in high school, has been owed for all of her education. Um, and the requirements that already are in place are ones that are not being funded. So to impose additional funding, additional requirements while you're still filling the, the hole that the state itself has dug, um, it isn't fair. It doesn't strike me as being in keeping with uh, the constitutionality question around funding and indeed the state's role in education. How about that, Liam? I'm glad you brought up the Every Student Succeeds Act. Um, <clears throat> I think one thing when we think Which of the, the, the federal law, the, right? the federal law, yeah, it used to be called No Child Left Behind. Yeah. That we keep giving it a new name yeah. when yeah, we reauthorize it. education law. You can go back to LBJ's okay. number name. S is better than uh, Nickelby. Okay, it sounds like Nickelback. <laughs> nobody, nobody likes nobody Nick wants, Nickelback. Nobody wants that. There's two things Tracy and I agree on. We don't like Nickelback. There's probably more than that. And we think the Boston bailout is questionable, <laughs> which I'm sure we'll get to here. So um, the Every Student Succeeds Act, actually one of our um, co-founders and founding board members, Senator Cory Booker, um, Senator Chris Murphy from Connecticut, and the third senator uh, who led the accountability work on that was our senator, uh, Elizabeth Warren. Um, and she had a quote down in D.C. Um, you know, saying, on the floor, asking for more accountability, she said, you know, the that we've gotten good at shoveling tax dollars out the door, but not very good at improving student achievement. Now, this is at the federal level, um, but I think, you know, for Democrats and especially Democratic, uh, strong Democratic state, to know that the state and the federal government have a serious responsibility to ensure that local government is delivering quality services, especially to those who need it most. And I understand what Tracy's saying, you know, it, it, if you're the local district, it may seem like the state is asking a lot of you. Um, but that's also the state's responsibility um, to ensure that students are, are receiving, you know, an adequate or ideally a high quality um, education. And I think this goes back to, um, you know, can we trust cities and school districts to get the most out of those dollars? Um, you seem to be a little... Uh, huh? I'm well, skeptical. So I think trust I, you know, and verify or something like that, it, or, or it, it, verify first. The state certainly has a, there is certainly a verify there. And I think, you know, if you go back to 1993 and if you ask them, would we update our funding formula? They would say, of course. And would we say, would we learn anything after the first time we have all these accountability measures, all these outputs like MCAS data? And they would say, well, of course we would learn a lot. Of course we would revise the way that the state has acted. And I think most people from then would say we're disappointed at how districts have reformed themselves and how districts have been able to make the changes that are needed. Um, and I think when you think of state aid simply just displacing money that the city's already putting in, I think you look at a city like Brockton. Um, so I brought an article from the uh, good local reporters at the Enterprise here on you know, Brockton who you know, is a lead in the, in the push for more school funding, is a poster child in many ways. When the Boston Globe focuses in on this issue, they often cite their own reported stat of Weston spending hundreds of dollars per student on school supplies and Brockton spending a dollar and 28 cents. And that is held up as one of those nice, tangible numbers 
that your average reader of a daily newspaper can say, yes, as a voter, as a citizen, that is wrong. If you actually do the math on that, $1.28 per kid times 17,000 kids that are in Brockton, if you stretch that back to the last, since the turn of the century, right, that's less than $400,000. This article that I have here is Brockton putting a $1.5 million turf football field in. So more than three times the amount that they're spending on school supplies over a 17-year period. And the funny thing about this article is the city councilor who was pushing it, who's also, it sounds like, the play-by-play guy of the football team, uh, says schools cannot use Chapter 70 money for capital improvements. This is seen as a bad thing, not being able to spend the Chapter 70 money on the turf football field. Um, he goes on to say, we were able to shift some expenses to the school department facilities budget. So a portion of the money, about $300,000, did come from Chapter 78. So in the, in the, this is not in a smoke-filled room. This is in the local paper saying we found a way to take the state money, technically get around what the state wants it to be used for, and build a $1.5 million turf football field. By the way, they use the same firm that built Gillette's, right? Not skimping, okay? Uh, the kicker of the article is talking about the warranty on the field is longer than the last field they had, which they got in 2000, which was a million dollars, and that they probably say was the first in the state, and that's why they had such a short warranty, because it was new technology. Again, this is the poster child for needing more money, finding ways to get around the state law on Chapter 70 money going to schools, and being first in the state, a priority, making sure that they have not only a million-dollar turf that the Patriots have, but they update it twice in the last 20 years. But, I, but I, are you <laughs> suggesting in the big picture that Brockton has enough money for, for, for educating its kids to an adequate level or a quality I, I, I education? Tr- tr- I think, you know, um, I appreciate that Tracy was a, that there is this, yes. So that Tracy was a public, take... well, hold on, let me, because I mean, then Michael did ask. Let, let me just, the... A school committee has a responsibility. City leaders have responsibility. I appreciate your public service. I think it's a really hard job. I think what we've seen all over the state is that being a public servant in a school committee role, in a municipal elected official role, you get a lot of pressure. So to Michael's question, does Brockton have enough money? Are they making the right decisions? We're in the longest period of economic expansion in America. If it runs through this summer, it'll be the longest expansion since 1850 when they started tracking the data. It's already the second longest ever. We're in a phenomenal economy right now. And Brockton has been giving out contracts. Brockton has 670 municipal employees that make $100,000 or more. 670. The average Brockton teacher salary is 20% higher than Randolph next door. Because they keep their teachers 25% longer. 25% higher than East Bridgewater next door. Because they keep their teachers longer. You can't do average teacher salary because it doesn't have anything to do with how long they keep their teachers in service. It's like anything else. Average teacher salary doesn't actually tell you anything. It doesn't tell you anything? As for a city councilor staying on the floor of the city of the city council that they managed to get around Chapter 78, I'm not going to take that as uh, gospel truth, let's say, in terms of what happens. 
I assume that what they did was they actually used the facilities part of the budget in order to actually fund maintenance on the school field. If you know anything about how, what kind of um, wear and tear take place on school fields, there's a lot of school districts that are moving to turf because long term they end up being a much better investment than trying to do the upkeep on grass. In fact, I'm glad you're defending the field. Which, by the way, just so you know, what they what they say is that have a the, conversation about. the well, new field only has what? seams around the mascot that's at midfield, whereas the old field had more seams. But the right. mascot because on this it, field, yeah is more stable. Like, I, yes, I do end up knowing more about this because there's a lot of school committees that are having to make these kinds of arguments to their local districts. And in many places, people are voting budget overrides to do it because they know that the capital expense long term bears out the investment because the maintenance, whether it's borne by the school district or borne by the local town, ends up actually working out better in the long term. As a facilities investment, in many cases, it actually ends up being a much more prudent fiscal decision. I can't speak to what Brockton decided, but I can tell you that in many cases, that is something that people are deciding. Let's try moving the ball down the field a little bit here. (laughs) Let's see. Let's get back to sort of the bigger picture of, of, of what we might do around funding and the formula. So, Liam, I mean, from where... Your perspective, um, there should be new at this moment. We should take the opportunity to look look at how money is being spent and the kind of conditions that we might attach to it. So, what would that look like? What would be uh, ways to approach it in, in the way you're saying that would uh, sort of ensure more accountability? That we would be able to verify better uh, that the money's going where where we where we think it ought to go. Sure. Well, I mean, I'll start with an area of, of agreement. Um, and we alluded to the Boston bailout earlier. And um, I just want to quote Tracy's uh, one of her more recent blog posts, which is great. Frankly, it makes me angry to see Boston arguing in any way that this is an equity issue. So let me say that my blog posts are written as a Worcester parent, because that's not necessarily going to be MASC's position. Um, but yes, but, so talk about Boston. So will somebody explain that part of the bill? Well, sure. So my, so, um, but I'd, I mean, yeah. I'd love to just... I'd like to get to Boston, but first, just help me understand what what in the big picture would you want to see uh, a bill look like that made made it through that did provide some more funding? If we can agree, there is a need totally for, agree for more money. Yeah. Uh, but but this whole debate, in some ways, has come down to uh, you know, as Tracy has said, and I heard Senator Son- Sonia Chang Diaz say, this is really owed money. We're we're kind of making districts whole on what on where the formula has failed them. Uh, and then others saying this is an opportunity at the same time to sort of say we've learned a lot about about uh, school effectiveness yep. and, and, and what works, and, and there's no reason that we shouldn't join that with this making whole of districts. So what would that look like? Yes, yeah, so I, I think examples. first, I mean, again, these three, I think there's three things that I want to address that I laid out. The first is ensuring that state money actually goes into the school budget. The second is that making the money in the school budget actually makes it to schools and doesn't get stuck in central office. So on the first point, you know, we, we addressed a little bit around um, Brockton. There's also other cities. I think, you know, the mayor of New Bedford was on the podcast uh, recently saying, you know, they've taken money from other departments and put it into the district, school district. Um, so the question is, well, if more money comes in from the state for schools, will that money just flow out back to those other districts? Um, I think that's a big question with Boston as well. Boston has increased its school spending, mostly from the city, to the point where it's not only over a billion dollars, it's grown at a rate of 33% over eight years. So we're looking at, is it going to get up to $1.6 billion by the mm-hmm. time that we're phasing in FBRC recommendations? Um, and if it's $1.6 billion just from the city, 
is this is the city is the state money going to be on top of that or will it just push money out to go to sunscreen and the common or whatever other projects are being funded mm-hmm. out of other departments. Are you going to ask then the that third, of the, 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 Wellesley the, and Cambridge? No, before you go into the next point, are you going to ask that of Wellesley and Cambridge and Weston and assuming that if they you'd continue? you'd like to defend Cambridge, Cambridge spends $28,000 per student. I actually think that's an excellent place to focus in on. So, Tracy, Cambridge spends $28,000 per student. No, I'm familiar so with Cambridge's like to, budget, yes, but no, they're so, flowing out to the city. This is my question, And is the though. school committee in Cambridge, you think that the $28,000 over the last 20 years that they've been allocating money are they getting $28,000 worth of education? I'm asking you if your concern is that if there's additional state aid, that it goes to the school department. Are you asking that only of Brockton or are you asking that as well of Wellesley and Weston and so forth? Because that's always the question is we always have these conversations of, well, there's going to be this big bump for the cities. Yeah. So those those the cities are not the on the front page of the paper suing the state for more money. So that's the reason that I've looked more well, into Well, because Cambridge is funding because <coughs> they have an adequate tax base to be able to fund their educational system the way that they want to. There aren't a lot of people who are looking over their shoulders about the 225% of foundation that they spend, which is fine because they're doing things other if people you need are not. A, could you put an adjective on Cambridge spending $28,000 per student? I, the, I, I don't like actually student averages because no no adjective go adjective adjective people have called that you know Milton Academy on the Charles I mean there's a lot of ways how to much does Milton Academy spend per student do I have we no know? idea yeah neither do I I bet this it's probably a, more than twenty eight thousand dollars this was the same so um, I bet you're probably right um, <laughs> but Tracy I guess I mean just see if there's any sort of oh. it, this point about some guardrails for the money is there anything to that I mean you're saying that you know in Worcester the money. You, you can immediately say one thing that it's needed for is more teachers. Now that minor league baseball stadiums, Michael. <laughs> no, that's borrowing, capital Worcester funding. is borrowing $100 million to build a minor league baseball stadium. Just I'm not, I don't and know. I am not going to defend the baseball stadium. All right. So we, so I, Tracy and I again agree there you go. <laughs> that municipalities are not priority. No, this is, this is, yeah. this but that's is capital dead funding. serious. This is not a joke. I mean, well, yeah, no, again, and this becomes in, and Boston becomes, tried to build a village room. Yes. I mean, look, I, th- this is something, I mean, this... Yeah. It goes back to bu- to the Olympics being a well, terrible t- idea, which we also agreed on. We the agree on. <laughs> There's a lot that we agree on here. And I think that we're going to break um, into kumbaya in a minute here. There is a state role here, and so I think you know into that. Will the school committee spend the money? Well, once it gets into the school budget, Lawrence cut forty percent of its central office. Forty percent of its central office. When and when. You might from you, the time of receivership in two thousand. Yeah, you might want to. You might want to pull their recent numbers. I've, I've run some Lawrence numbers lately. Okay, we'd love to. Yeah. And what you say, so you're saying it's going back up again? I'm, I'm saying that um, that is an often cited statistic. I've looked at the dollar amounts. I haven't looked at people. So. So I, uh, we just have a few minutes left, and I don't know. It's it's complicated to get into this Boston question, <laughs> but it's it's it seems like it's I don't want to say it's the elephant in the room. There, are, it's getting crowded because there are a lot of elephants There's in the room. So many. It's like a zoo in here. Ah, uh, right. But there is a big issue, and, and it's going to be very hard, I think, to ex- explain it succinctly other than if I have it right, uh, the, the formula currently provides that every community gets at least a minimum mm-hmm. amount That's of true. its school uh, funding from the state. And Boston's in an unusual position that it gets sort of a minimum amount. It looks more on paper like some very wealthy suburban communities because it has a lot of property wealth. But it also has a lot of low-income kids. It also has a lot of charter schools, and it's a lot of the state money ends up getting uh, redistributed as the formula calls for to, to pay for charter school reimbursements. And so Boston is kind of says it's looking at very soon uh, a situation where there would be sort of no net dollars from state aid going to the district schools. 
And so they have pushed hard for, and this bill now that the Senator Chang Diaz has filed is calling for a new sort of minimum level of, of, of uh, net state aid that would that every community would be entitled to after things like charter reimbursements. I mean, it, 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 it adds a huge amount to the price tag on this, and it would uh, seem like, I mean, it would seem like it's great news for Boston, but is it good news for, uh, you know, the pie, the limited size pie we have of education dollars to, to try to distribute fairly? Well, uh, right, and I think that, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you can go. Well, I mean, and, and I think to me what it comes back to, honestly, I think it comes back to two things. Um, I think it comes back to sort of this question of how do we fund charter schools, right, which we can have fights about all day and we don't, we've got limited amount of time, we don't need to do that. But um, it feels to me as though it is a shift in that um, because you're actually, after the fact, essentially coming back in with additional state aid. Um, and then the other thing, and this is sort of looking at it from a statewide perspective, is um, if we agree that the most urgent funding question is the question of the foundation budget and the way that Chapter 70 works in relationship to that. If this is sort of what we're putting second on that list, I guess that's my question. Is is that is that what should be second or should we be talking about rural school aid or should we be talking about regional school, you know, transportation reimbursement and those kinds of things? Um, when I look at it from a sort of a statewide perspective, I see a lot of other funding questions that I know are tanking small town kinds of budgets um, to, you know, Liam's point earlier of what are they choosing not to do because there's not a full reimbursement of regional transportation or whatever. Um, I wonder about that as sort of the second, as number two on the list. Mm -hmm. And what do you think, Liam? This is, I mean, this is a big change in the proposals. And <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I think the, po the politics are clear. Um, right. You know, Boston seemed to be the hurdle in getting over, um, um, getting to an agreement uh, last year. <clears throat> and so solving the political problem for Boston uh, in terms of getting legislation through does seem um, seem like what's going on here. <clears throat> but I think it is really important to hone in on Boston to this question um, of does the money make it into the school budget? Does the school budget make money make it into the schools? And then are we getting good bang for that buck? Are kids actually learning from that? And in Boston, you know, we're over $20,000 per student. Boston spends 36% more than Lawrence, and the kids are in school less each day. Fewer Latino students are graduating. Economically disadvantaged students are not doing as well. Um, it's close on a lot of those, but you know, Boston's spending 36% more. Boston spends 25% more than Worcester and the other 20 largest gateway cities. 25% more. I want you to picture a classroom. Picture 25 kids in a room, roughly, ballpark. 25 times 20 guaranteed kid, a little over. Boston is spending $522,000 per 25 kids. Right. Worcester's spending less than $395,000. These are big differences, right? So there's, you know, to Tracy's point about being angry about that kind of Boston claiming equity, I think there's there's definitely credence there. There's also importance. Boston is a capital city. Boston is somewhere people look to nationally. Um, and Boston has the opportunity to close achievement gaps, the ability to close achievement gaps. There's the talent. There's the money, clearly. And the state does have responsibility, I think, to ensure that Boston is actually the shining city on the hill in terms of kids that it could be. Um, the state, there is no way the state can just push Boston beyond the $1.5 it's on pace for, beyond the $27,000 per student it's on pace for, without demanding some changes. Boston has more level four and five schools than ever before. Boston has thousands and thousands fewer students as the budget's been growing, 33%. It's been hiring 7% more staff. And 
it would be, frankly, I think irresponsible for uh, the state to kind of turn a blind eye to what they could do to improve education uh, in Boston. And it's also an example of if the budget just keeps growing without any major changes, we're not going to get the outcomes that we expect as a state. Right. Well, we sort of started with, you know, this question of getting to yes this year. Uh, so it may be the place to end. Do you think, uh, uh, Liam, are we going to, are we going to, are we going to finish the, the, the funding uh, task this year, do you think, with, with, a, with a plan, with a bill? I think so. And I think, you know, the book Getting to Yes was written by a, a Harvard uh, negotiation project <laughs> well, what do they uh, know? Yeah. team. And I think <laughs> the number one thing one they said is you got to understand where the other person's coming from. Mm-hmm. And this is a political game. I think local elected officials have a political game, as we see, whether it's a football field or anything else. And it's very hard for local politicians to do difficult things like cutting 40% of central office, like getting an extended school day that's less than the, the hourly, uh, normal hourly. Those things are hard. Those things help kids. And as Elizabeth Warren was saying, you know, the federal government and state government, uh, she said federal government, but yes, also the state government, the have government. a responsibility <laughs> to ensure that that happens. So I think yes, and hope to get some changes along with it. Tracy, what's your... Uh so I think, I mean, we're actually watching two things at the same time now, right? We're watching the FY20 budget as well as um, Senator Chang Diaz's bill. We know the governor's going to file a bill as well. Right. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether or not the House comes up with something. Um, I, I think that we've seen marginal changes happening through the state budget process. ELL moved to an increment last year. We've seen some incremental change in terms of health insurance. So that conversation of sort of inching forward, um, I'm sure we're going to see something. The question of whether or not um, we end up actually passing the full FBRC. I mean, the governor, what, said he thought something would happen by July. Um, I guess, maybe. I wonder what kinds of, of deals are going to be made in order for that to happen. Um, but the whole notion that um, somehow this needs to tie us up in another accountability um, fight, I think, is something that is going to make it significantly harder um, because of what um, not just local districts, but also the local legislators know of their own districts and what um, the kinds of costs that have been incurred. I do think just w- one quick thing to add to that. I think um, we have focused on accountability. Accountability is important. Um, but there's a whole host of things that cost money, things like pre-K, uh, which Tracy mentioned, things like school integration, things like vocational technical schools, which have long waiting lists, that are very hard for local politicians to do. And that the state could explore. Those things cost money. And when you open the books back up and think about what we can do, now is the time to say, what is going to help kids the most? And to just simply you know, ignore that question, I think, again, would be irresponsible. Well, if Liam's going to add integration, then we're not going to get it done this year. But I do think that it's an important conversation to have um, whenever we talk about Boston because it always does feel a lot like we – we pick on Boston, um, but Boston got stuck when we did suburbanization. So, um, you know, the, if you look at the statistics around who goes to school in Boston versus who goes to school right outside of Boston, those districts don't look the same. And, um, you know, that's that's part of this conversation, too. We heard some of that with the press conference earlier this week. Um, but Worcester, but Massachusetts has um, very um, segregated school districts. And that's part of this conversation, too, because the school districts that are the uh, in most in need of state funding um, because they have the least amount of local capital wealth um, are the ones that are the most hurting on this and the ones who continue year after year to not be adequately funded because of that. Well, we will keep the conversation going here. And uh, thanks to you both for coming in. Glad Chris to. Novick, Liam Kerr, thanks a lot. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening. This has been another installment of the podcast from Commonwealth Magazine. We'll see you next time.